0: Welcome to Women on the Verge of a Financial Breakthrough, a podcast where we're gonna figure out finance one dumb question at a time. I'm Caitlin Meredith, a mediator and coach based in
1: the Bay Area, and... I'm Sarah Glacus, I'm an investor, advisor, and founder of Blackburn Financial and the Austin Women's Investing Group, which can be found on Meetup. I met Sarah when she was my Investing for Beginners
0: class Teacher. And when I started that, the idea of any debt was like bad. That is a bad financial plan. That is a bad situation to be in, except like student loans and mortgages. And after the class, I got even more confused. So this is the episode where I figure out debt. Welcome.
1: Oh, 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 oh.
0: Okay, so Sarah, during the pandemic, there's a lot of ups and downs, and we had a conversation, I think it was like building business or something, and you said something that was very shocking to me, seemed very cavalier, and it felt off-brand, and I didn't know what to do about it, and it kind of sent chills down my spine. You said, oh, I don't care about debt. Or leverage, like, oh, yeah, I can be leveraged, whatever. And I was like, alert, alert, something (laughs) bad is happening. She said leverage, that's bad. (laughs) And you were, like, everyone I know is like, oh, my God, we had to borrow so much money to do that. It's this weight on my back. And you were just like, leverage, (laughs) don't have a care in the world and I'm still coming down from that shock. So I need to find out more about why, like clearly there was some context. You're not a credit card debt junkie, but what's happening? Why would that even come out of your mouth?
1: Oh my gosh, well now I'm trying to figure out what this conversation was, where I was so cavalier about this. I think it goes back to the question of good debt and bad debt in my mind. Where you draw that line is it's okay to borrow money if you expect that the thing you're buying with the money is going to increase in value over time, right?
0: Right. So then you can pay the debt back. Like you borrow to make more money than you're borrowing
1: and enough to not just pay it back, but to make more money. Right. One of the things I hear all the time, you have probably heard this too, is people will say, I wanna pay off this debt because do you know how much interest I'm paying the bank? They do one of those amortization schedules and it shows you how much you borrowed and how much interest you're paying to the bank.
0: Oh, right, and at the end, like the amount you're paying them in interest is a significant chunk of money and that feels
1: awful. Right, and so that's fine. That's like one piece of information, but the way that I think about it is, well, okay, after you pay the bank, The interest from them lending you this money, do you end up with more than you otherwise would have had you not borrowed the money? Okay. And so that doesn't necessarily make debt bad. It gives you something to compare it to. If the debt has an interest rate that's higher than the expected rate of return from the asset you're investing in, then you're going the wrong way. Okay, so an obvious
0: example, the bad debt that we all hear about is credit card debt. Really high interest rates, very unlikely that what you're buying with the credit card is going to increase in values to the extent that you can pay off the credit card and the interest and be better than you were before. Is that
1: a good example of bad debt? That's perfect. And it's even worse because the thing that you bought might not even exist anymore. Maybe you ate it, or maybe you experienced it, but you don't have it anymore. You have the memory, right? But there is no asset. Lovely fajitas
0: on the cruise to the Caribbean.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You splurged for the shrimp fajitas, and now you don't even have those, and you're still paying for them. I mean, it's easy to joke, but
0: a lot of people have credit card debt for like real things, like medical bills and paying food and their kids clothes like really they don't have the money they need
1: to meet their expenses and so that's how it happens yes that is true that does happen to some people and some people just don't match up their income with their expenses and it's more like they don't know how much more they're spending or they don't know how dangerous it is Right, to get caught in that trap. Okay, so credit cards we can think of as
0: bad debt. And one that under your sort of definition of what good debt would be, is it's not going to make you more money in the long run, even though you're paying a high interest rate or interest at all, it's not going to make you more money in the long run. So... Bye-bye. That one isn't good. What is another example of good debt? I mean, all I can think of is borrowing to build a business or something where you need some initial money to invest in equipment or rent an office or whatever. And that
1: later, the idea is you'll be making money with that business so you can pay off that debt. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the third one, and you already mentioned the first two that most people think of. It's relatively easy to borrow money to buy a house or a piece of property. It's relatively easy to borrow money for education expenses, right? To get a degree of some type, right? And then the third one is borrowing money to start a business or expand your business. And by the time you own a business or are starting a business, you should be able to project how much money you could be making in the future and figure out whether it makes sense to borrow that money today, whether you would come ahead in that calculation. Okay, but I'm even wondering
0: under like what I'm gonna call normal debt or the good debt, like mortgage, student loans, et cetera. I'm part of a couple of these Facebook groups that are for like families or women that are interested in money, and a significant percentage of people who at least comment seem to be very focused on paying off all of their debt, like paying off their mortgage early as part of like a very aggressive financial plan. And I get the appeal psychologically, I totally get like I own this now this is mine or I don't have to pay my student loan bill every month which I will be paying for the rest of my life I get that just like that thing off my back but when I do with my very rudimentary percentage comparing skills is like okay my mortgage is at I don't even know. Let's say 4.5. So paying extra means that's money. In my case, it would mean money I can't pay into my retirement account. I'm making a choice between paying off my mortgage early, which has an interest rate of 4.5%, versus putting money in a retirement account with a potential expected return over a long horizon. Did you see I said expected? Oh my gosh. (laughs) Like this is. Just keep going. I love it. Keep going. (laughs) She's in rapture expected, I have to say that because financial professionals can never say you will get this return, expected return based on past performance of let's say 10%, 9%, 10%. So that's a difference of several interest points that I could gain. So why would I put the extra money towards a lower interest thing? Am I even asking this in the right way?
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. And I think the way that you laid it out is a really sophisticated way of looking at it. I know. I mean, I love this. Because I think a lot of the debt pay down and the zero debt communities, there is an emotional aspect to it. That if we were just looking at the numbers, the way that you laid it out, totally makes sense. Like if you can get a higher rate of return, you only have a certain number of dollars left over at the end of the month. Right. What are your choices? You could put them in a high yield savings account, right? I mean, I've heard. Yeah. Okay. And get 1%. You could prepay your mortgage and basically get four and a half percent, or you could put those dollars in a long-term investment account and try to get 8 9 or 10% compounding over time. And so I think that for a lot of it, the guaranteed rate of return from prepaying debt is very appealing. Okay.
0: Because you know it's definitely that you're paying early and so it will be over earlier and you will definitely be paying less interest than if you prepay your mortgage or student
1: loans. Yes. Okay. Do you think in these groups that you're a part of that there is shame around debt or negative feelings about borrowing money from someone or owing money to someone there seems to be a callback
0: to like older times like when our parents or their parents bought a house you like bought a house because you could pay for it and that the economy's gone crazy and so like owning your house now should still mean the same thing owning your house and not giving the bank any more for it that's what I can assume. And I have to assume some of those people have that income level where they can max out their retirement contributions every year and pay ahead on their debt. So like, whatever, that's psychologically how that feels safe to them. Great. But for those of us who don't have all this excess cash, like figuring out if that should be a priority or not, Seems a little confusing because I said, like, psychologically, I get it. I'm not in debt. In debt feels bad. But the math never seems to add up for me.
1: So yeah. I, I think another drawback to the financial ones that you laid out is by really aggressively paying off your debt, you're taking these liquid dollars and you're turning them into something illiquid. So have we talked about liquidity? No, let's talk about that. I was just gonna interrupt you. Liquid. Liquid is the idea that you can relatively easily turn an asset into cash. Okay. Right. So, stocks, High yield savings account. That's right, so your high yield <laughs> savings account is almost perfectly liquid. If you need yep. to take out $10,000, you just take out $10,000, right? It's your money. Okay. With stocks, if you have an account worth a million dollars, and you need to take out $10,000, it's relatively easy to do that. You just sell $10,000 worth of stock and you make a withdrawal.
0: You don't have to pay a penalty. Oh, that's a retirement account, not just a plain old investment
1: account. Yeah. I'm just talking about a plain old investment account. If you have all of your wealth in the equity in your house and you need $10,000, how do you get Mm -hmm. it?
0: like Like, a cash-out refi, but if you're having financial trouble because you
1: lost a job or something, that might not be possible. Exactly. So you have to really be more proactive. You could sell your house. That doesn't really seem ideal, right, to have to sell your house to get money. You could, in advance, open something like a home equity line of credit while you still do have that job. But if you haven't thought through this, you can end up with all of your wealth tied up in one big illiquid asset. That's actually yeah. really difficult to then maneuver with. The benefit right. that you get is you're like, whoa, I don't have a mortgage. It's like, OK, well, you're getting the benefit of that investment in little drips and drabs every month where you don't have that mortgage payment.
0: Okay, wait, so you mean if I pay off my house, I get the benefit by not paying the bank anymore. And so whatever was going to the bank for my mortgage payment every month now has been freed up for me to do something else with it. That's the benefit
1: you're referring to? Yes. Okay. That if you worked really, really hard and you paid off a $300,000 mortgage and your $800 a month payment goes away, which is often what is cited as the benefit. Right. That's true, but then you're only getting, like, that $300,000 investment in paying off the mortgage, you only get the benefit a little bit at a time through your cash flow, right? Through having lower expenses forever. Right. And the ultimate
0: benefit will be home ownership because then one day you can sell that home. But until that happens, all your eggs are literally in that basket. I mean, assuming you may also have retirement accounts or investment accounts, but like a lot of cash dollars are in that basket that are not doing anything else. Whereas if you had a mortgage for half of the amount of the house, so $150,000, and that extra money you were putting in an investment account you could be making over that same period of time a lot more money than your house value would increase right
1: right i mean and i see not infrequently i see situations where there's a retired woman whose only asset is a paid off house yeah right and so if you are 75 and you don't have a lot of liquid savings and you don't have retirement accounts and all you have is a paid off house you don't have a ton of options. Yeah. You have way fewer options than you thought you were going to have. You probably, until that moment, had some security in knowing that the house was paid off and that the bank could never come take it. But once you get to that point where that's the only asset that you have left, you've actually decreased the number of options that you have going forward because you can't pay for a car with a paid off house. You can't pay for a vacation with a paid off house or having someone come in and help take care of you if you need part-time or full-time care. So then what do you do? A reverse mortgage, is that what those are? Right, and so that's where the reverse mortgage industry came in. And most people don't like reverse mortgages. It used to be a super sketchy part of the market. They have really improved since the financial crisis and they are way less predatory than they were back then but okay well now you have the paid off house how do you undo that after you're done working so i do think there is like this it's not always a false sense of security but maybe it's over attributing how useful that giant paid off house is as an asset if you don't have anything else working around it So the way that that priority, it's
0: like overweighted as that being the one thing instead of like, look, 75% paid off with 25% of your assets in a retirement account would make your life a lot easier at that point. Like making the decisions now about
1: allocating that will give you the options later. Right. I mean, and I would definitely fall into like that latter camp where if I see people or if I myself have 50% loan, to value ratio or the 50% the, loan to value ratio what does that mean yeah so if the balance on your mortgage is only 50% of what your house is worth okay so you start out with 80% if you put 20% down you start out with an 80% loan to value ratio and ideally if you're paying this off over time then the mortgage balance goes down and the value of the home hopefully goes up So your loan to value ratio is going down steadily over time. Right. I think that's where in talking to the zero debt community, I would be interested to hear like, why isn't 25% loan on your house okay for safety purposes, right? Or 40% where you're past that threshold where the market's gonna tank and the bank is gonna come take your house. Right. You have so much equity in it that you're just not in that type of danger anymore. And so what is the continuing incentive to put some or all of your monthly savings into a low risk, low return, low liquidity investment like paying off your debt?
0: So we're talking about something like a mortgage that is the good debt. Mortgage rates are historically low right now, and so hopefully people can get them low enough if not the lowest rungs right now but what about private student loan debts i guess i'm curious from your perspective at what point is there like a certain interest rate where you say oh no pay off that debt first and then worry about retirement or is it always hand in hand like where is that threshold between give the minimum payment carry that loan as long as it'll go versus like oh no you need to be a little bit more aggressive
1: there Oh, yes. Sarah's personal ranking uh-huh. of yeah. interest Always rates <laughs> and yeah. payoff priorities. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, this is, I've had this in my mind for a long time. So, anything over 10% is a priority to pay off. Okay. Sarah won't get out of bed for anything less than 10% <laughs> interest rate. Okay. Well, you know what? Let me back up there. Let me say anything over 15% is no brainer. Don't save money anywhere else except maybe one month of living expenses in your emergency fund. But almost all of your extra dollars go to paying off debt that's 15% or higher. Okay. Because there aren't many investments you can make that have a reasonable chance of consistently hitting a 15% annual rate of return. So the overtime
0: drag on your whole financial flexibility is so great. When you're in debt for something over than fifteen percent, that you need to really attack that first. Such aggressive language. Yeah, after it, (laughs) attack it, (laughs) pay it off early as much as you can, so that doesn't swallow any of the benefits that you
1: could get from putting your money other places. Yes, yes. So fifteen percent. I would say ten to fifteen percent. If the next batch of your debt is somewhere between ten and fifteen percent then the majority of your savings should go to paying off the debt. But you can probably start setting some aside in a retirement account, let's say. So for that piece of your debt next that falls in that 10 to 15% interest rate threshold, I would say a majority of your savings should probably go to paying that off. But now you can start setting money aside in your retirement accounts. So if you get a 401k match, then have enough of your savings going to get some or all of that 401k match. And then the rest of it goes to continuing to pay down that debt. The next chunks, like under 10%, get a little bit, I don't know, like a little bit trickier. I would say like, okay, for debt that's between 7 and 10% interest rate, you continue to pay that down in advance. So pay it down early. But start setting aside more of your savings in a retirement account versus the debt pay down. And then for me, any interest rates less than 5% are not interesting to pay down. It's like free money. I mean, clearly, like, you pay
0: your monthly whatever. Right. But you don't see any benefit of using any dollars to pay that off early.
1: Right. So that just gets paid as agreed whatever the as agreed amount is they send on the statement like hey you owe us three hundred and seventy one dollars and 23 cents you don't pay a cent more you just let that five percent and under just like let that baby ride forever if you have to or for a really long time again this is like people will have different thresholds for themselves as to what that number is for me it's five percent where i probably won't prepay anything that's under 5% okay. that I can get from anywhere. Okay,
0: so one of my student loans is under that, one is over. So the one that's under, I just pay the bare minimum every month. Don't think about it, which is good because I'll be doing it for the next 30 years. And then the other one, though, that's over it, I really pay attention to adding a little bit extra, not at the expense of also contributing to my retirement, but it should be a parallel priority to get that a little ahead of schedule.
1: You can do a calculation to see if you set money aside in something where you expect a higher return. So let's say you start a brokerage account and you start investing in there and you get a relatively good rate of return, like eight, nine, 10, 11% per year. It might be the case that your brokerage account grows so fast that you can then use that money you grew in the brokerage account to pay off the rest of your student loan. Right. If you prepay the student loan, you're only getting ahead by the interest rate, right? By the 4.5% per year or whatever. But what if you took like a little bit of a risk because there's no guarantee and instead of prepaying at 4.5%, you put the money in a brokerage account that just like you didn't do anything Special, but because the market cooperated for some period of time, you were able to grow that money at eight or nine or 10 or 11% and then use your investments to pay off your loan. Some of that to pay it off. If you want to.
0: Sarah, is this like an insider stock tip? <laughs> Only here. <laughs> is this like as insider stock tip as it gets uh, for me? Like, yeah, ooh, no,
1: it's, it's not a stock you tip. You will go it, to prison it's... for implementing this. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> oh, dear. I think it's just a way to train yourself to think differently about how you're investing your money and
0: growing it if your only experience with getting more money is because you worked more hours or got a christmas bonus it doesn't make sense that you think you will get money because it grew somewhere else and then all of a sudden you have more money from the money you put in like yes it's such a crazy idea. I mean, it's like the rich get richer. It's like it doesn't seem to apply to a normal person. And here you're saying, like, if we put our money in the brokerage, it will make money that it's I mean,
1: I know that's the whole point of all of this. But it still seems
0: like <laughs> What a new... episode is this?
1: <laughs> Caitlin has a breakthrough. A idea.
0: Investing will make you money. Wait. Hold on. We should Let's start a podcast up. about that. Okay, here we are though talking about how debt under 4%, but this is something that always confused me. It's like you go to the bank and now during pandemic, whatever, property values in Austin, everywhere, going insane. People are qualifying for mortgages that are really big and mortgage rates are really low. So it's like, why not take it? Oh my God, a 3% mortgage rate. How do we... I just thought the bank would know what I could handle and would like only offer me the amount of money that was like completely fiscally responsible for me to borrow. It turns out <laughs> that the bank seems the bank seems to lend people a lot of money at low interest rates. And it's still kind of up to you to decide what you could responsibly bear. So I'm just wondering how that piece connects to this. Like, is it no matter the amount of money, as long as the interest rate's low, like, go for it? Or what else are we supposed to be paying
1: attention to? Yeah, so the piece that was glossed over is the debt payment versus your income, right? So this comes back into your budget short-term cash flow because in order to get to the long term on a long-term investment you have to make sure that you can pay the debt on any money you've borrowed or otherwise like in this case the bank is going to make you sell your house when you don't want to and pay them back so the part where that connects is you get qualified from a lender and they send you that piece of paper that says, okay. Now your monthly payment is going to be $3,500 per month. That's what they've calculated. They will give to you, right? The amount that they would give to you. But you have to look at that and be like, oh my gosh, is that $3,500 payment reasonable and or advisable? How easy is it for me to cover this $3,500 payment? If it's a stretch and it kind of depends on best case scenarios that people stay at their jobs. Nobody has to go part-time. Nobody gets sick. Nobody has to take unpaid leave to have children. Like if it relies on a bunch of best case scenarios, then it's risky. Like if your calculation is like, I just need everything to go great and then I can afford this payment. That is like red flag. And for a long period of time. Because at $3,500 payment, is in there for a really, really long time. So that's where the connection comes in. It's like back to, if you think about your short-term cash flow, will you be able to cover this payment? And this is true for mortgages. It's a little bit more difficult for student loans, but I wish that more kids and or their parents did this calculation. Based on the amount of debt you're taking out, what is your higher salary? is there a higher salary for the degree that you're about to get yeah in my case no i would say it's it yeah a, no. there's lots and lots of master's degrees that do not yeah. lead to substantially higher income levels and so how are you going to pay hashtag that? no regrets but also <laughs> hashtag had no idea <laughs> thank you for saying that and then with your business okay if i borrow a hundred thousand dollars and now I have this monthly payment to the bank, how sure am I that this $100,000 is going to lead to more business allowing me to repay this debt? So it's that connection between the income and the monthly payment that's really the thing to look at to make sure that in the short-term you are as stable as possible in the short-term because that's how you get to the long-term is by having that short-term stability. And I do think in some cases, that's what causes people to go from borrowing money to wanting to be debt-free because something happened and they got out of balance. And all of a sudden their income was not covering their debt payments and they saw the debt was the culprit. The debt was the problem. And so the debt is the enemy. It must go and all of it must go because debt is no good, this was a total mistake, and you know, you're know you kind of going, taking that, I don't know, I guess it's logical conclusion that if we didn't have the debt... Then I could change jobs and not worry about my mortgage payment. Right. So I get that. And maybe for some people that is true, but when I think about, especially people prepaying their mortgage, and you think about how long and how hard it is to pay off hundreds of thousands of dollars in very short periods of time, and then you think about... Well, what else could that $300,000 have done? If you had considered all of your options or not putting all of your eggs in one basket, I think there are opportunity costs that people don't necessarily think through all the way. Hopefully they've thought through them and just decided that the debt payment was the lowest risk and most emotionally satisfying way to go, but I don't know that people necessarily do that calculation. You know
0: what this is revealing for me, this disappointment that it's like, I'm disappointed that the, this sounds so naive and crazy, but like that the banks aren't more
1: paternalistic.
0: (laughs) You know, like (laughs) I expected them to like take a sober look at my finances, my all that and offer a number that was very reasonable and whatever. And- Instead, they have a completely different calculation because they get the house in the end. If it doesn't work out, like their skin in the game is pretty protected. And so it's very confusing. Like it, you set up in the beginning to be like, shit, I hope I get approved for a mortgage. And then when you get approved, that seems like the big hurdle. But then the second part is the realization that they might lend you more money than you should responsibly take. And yet they seem like the ones that would be withholding from you. So you're set up to, I don't know how to explain this. Like they're supposed to be the stop sign. And really it's all set up as a deception so that you think they're the stop sign. And when they don't give you the stop sign, you think it's a green light. Did I mix enough metaphors or do you see what I'm saying? Like, Yeah, I see what you're saying. I think of them as the adult in the room saying like, whoa, lady, slow down. You can only responsibly borrow this amount. And instead, they go hog wild. And I'm like, wow, they really see me as an important <laughs> financially responsible (laughs) person it's like flattery well yes you're right to recognize me as an upstanding citizen ha 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 jokes on me they get the house if anything goes wrong and i'm screwed so that like speed bump we have to put in for ourselves to figure out and also just thinking about a woman's lifetime how many different changes we undergo that directly influence our earning potential the idea that we could sign a contract one day in our 20s in our 30s in our 40s that would be able to predict the amount of money that we could pay back every single month for a 20 to 30 year period is
1: pretty insane yeah you're not wrong on any of those points you are right I love it yeah right And you can put numbers to a story with debt in a much easier way than you can with investing. And I think for every person they have to figure out, I think it's important to think about like, okay, the emotional reasons that you are doing whatever you're doing. And one of the common narratives for retail investors, right, so this goes back to like regular investors, a common narrative is that debt in and of itself is bad. Yeah, that's where I'm coming from. Right, and that, you know, like if you can't make your debt payments, it's like the worst thing that you could have possibly done because you're a liar and a cheat and you're trying to get out of what you told someone you would do and there's hubris and just bad decision-making and you're irresponsible, right? So there's all of this, these like shameful emotions that go along with it and it doesn't have to be that way. There can be, I don't know, a healthier relationship with debt if you look at it more from a numbers perspective and less from an emotional perspective
0: yeah well and i think about people that i've heard that are in great depth as i referred to earlier like a medical thing happened or like things that are truly outside of your control or just we know women get paid less than men people of color get paid less like there are all sorts of traps in the american economy for working people to get caught in a lot of debt like payday loans exist for a reason people are not earning enough money from their jobs to pay for the necessities of their life. So there's a lot of really legitimate ways to get caught in debt. And yet it's held like a personal failing, even if you're plugged into a system that's like out to get you.
1: Yeah. And I think that does also kind of go back to this idea of not putting all of your eggs in one basket from a risk mitigation perspective. Yes, those things happen. It is not safer to have all of your wealth tied up in the house and then have a medical emergency because then if you can't get the money out of your house, you have to go into credit card debt. So what if instead of putting all of your savings into prepayment, some of it is going into a 401k and some of it is going into that old high yield savings account, and then some of it is going to prepaying the debt so that if a medical emergency happens, you look at your picture and you say, okay, what's the best way to go about dealing with this? Do we drain the savings? Do we borrow against the 401k or do we sell the house? you at least have three options. So I think that that's maybe the most undervalued part of thinking through this. The most underweight that people are is like thinking through how valuable options are when bad things happen and also not treating it as a personal failure and not being so quick to judge people who run into financial trouble. Because really, our whole financial system in the U.S. is built that way. Yeah. A lot of people are lent money that they shouldn't be lent in the first place, but that's just the way it is. It's not a personal failing, and I think I mentioned this to you once before. Like I actually think the bankruptcy system is underutilized in a lot of ways. Oh yeah, that there, are, we have to do. I know nothing about bankruptcy. We have got yeah, to we should talk have someone come in and underneath. talk about it because occasionally I'll see some sort of picture. And it usually involves payday loans or some sort of like really super high interest rate loans, maybe it's credit cards, where you look at this financial picture and the person's income and their prospects, and you're like, the math does not work at all. The best thing to do is just start over, right? Just start over. And so I think that that, in a worst case scenario, is an option that people should consider. Again, bad things happen to good people. People make mistakes. And that there is like a whole system put in place to help you not get buried by it for the rest of your life. That it doesn't have to be a decision that you're stuck with or a circumstance you're stuck with forever. I'm understanding this more. I think
0: when we talk about leverage, what my associations have always been is people buying too much house like that they couldn't afford and being super leveraged in their house and then trying to figure out, well, I'm super leveraged in my house. Like, how do you tell the difference between buying a house means you're leveraged versus you're too leveraged. And so I think what you've given is some ways to think about that. Obviously, look at what the money coming in is, what your budget is. Can you afford that without it being a stretch every month? Can you absorb some transitions and fluctuations in your personal life and what finances are coming in without putting that loan at risk? Yeah. Am I thinking along the right lines? Yes, line? that's amazing. nailing that's it. It's a talk, great summary. It. It's like our sixth conversation on this topic, so (laughs) it's refreshing. I can get making some headway. Thank you, Sarah. Thanks, Caitlin. Okay, Sarah, what's one thing a woman on the verge of a financial breakthrough can do today in this realm to take care
1: of her financial future, put her financial house in order, if you will? So I'm gonna piggyback on some ideas we've thrown out in past episodes. And so this one is putting together your debt inventory. This is really helpful when you're trying to figure out what to pay off and in what order. So to do your debt inventory, all you need is make a list of all your debts, the balance of each one. How much you owe. The monthly payment for each one like the minimum that they're requiring? Correct. Okay. The interest rate. Yeah. And then if there's some sort of maturity date, that's important. So most loans, they go from you owe $10,000 and they slowly draw down to zero. But if you're in especially something like one of those teaser rates that you get from credit card companies, Mm, okay, like the first year is one rate and then it balloons exactly. after that? Exactly. If there's a rate or if there's a date where that rate changes from 0 to 15%, put that in there too. So make a note of that. Okay. That's just the definition of a trap, right? Some people are really savvy about using introductory rate credit cards, and so like I don't yeah. want to poo-poo on all of it, but you want to know when the rate changes. So put that in there too. So make a list of all these things. And then as you're figuring out how you're going to tackle this debt, if it's something that needs to you know, kind of be brought back into line, you can start looking at, okay, well, this debt has the highest interest. So I think I'm gonna start there. You pay all of the other debts just as agreed and then all of your extra money goes to paying down this one high interest rate debt. But just doing the inventory itself, you'll be able to see, hopefully, the impact that your decisions on the debt repayment, like what impact those could have on, I mean, overall interest paid to the bank, and how does it impact your cash flow? And by that, I mean like once this debt is paid off, it'll free up another $400 per month that I could use somewhere else, either to start my retirement account or to put towards another piece of the debt puzzle. Okay.
0: And I know there's a website called Undebt.it, U-N-D-E-B-T dot I-T maybe. And I think, I think their overall premise is so that you can pay everything off quicker, and we're suggesting you look at that in a different way, make some priorities based on interest rate levels. But I think you can plug in all those numbers, and it gives you the different scenarios. Like, if I paid this much per month, how quickly would I pay it off, et cetera. So that might be worth playing with to sort of get the information you need to look at your, what did you call it, debt inventory? Yeah, debt inventory. I like that. so, like... It's so official and objective, (laughs) not like the hall of shame. It's just the numbers. It's like the debt inventory. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. It's a scary one because that number. Oh, will you remind everybody that often people owe
1: more than they're worth for a long time in their life? I feel like this is a moment we all need to hear that. A lot of people owe more than what their assets are worth for a long period of time so that's okay you want to be moving in the direction towards positive net worth towards having your assets be worth more than your debts but not everybody starts there so it's more like a spectrum where you might be on the spectrum somewhere of net worth you definitely want to be moving towards positive net worth over time though trend line is important
0: here not where you are at this moment in time okay thank you so much
1: sarah thanks caitlin Uh, uh, Hey, do you have any dumb questions about finance or investing? Send them to us at our website, womenontheverge.com. Hey, so many thank yous to Kelly West, a woman on the
0: verge in her own right, who took the amazing photos for our album art and website, helped with our website design, music, audio editing, cheerleading, mental health, everything. Emily Kleinsorgi, our stylist that did our hair and makeup for our photos from Lucy Skyrocket. Lauren Gross and Taylor Gross, who helped us with our graphic design, and... Our music
1: is by Bad Bad Hats and Devmo. If
0: your partner is making you ask for money, giving you an allowance, taking your money, or not letting you know about or have access to family income, this could
1: be economic abuse. Learn more at thehotline.org or call 1-800-799-SAFE. So, Sarah, because you're a financial professional, we have to read a disclaimer for this podcast. I would actually really love it if you could read the disclaimer. Oh, God. And your best legal voice. Okay, doing it. This
0: podcast contains general information that is not suitable for everyone. The information contained herein should not be construed as personalized investment advice. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. There is no guarantee that the views and opinions expressed in this podcast will come to pass. Investing in the stock market involves gains and losses and may not be suitable for all investors. Information presented herein is subject to change without notice and should not be considered as a solicitation to buy or sell any security. I know. The first thing you notice is that I'm covered in gold. The trip of the wrist it can turn a hot bitch cold. To get what you want in life, girl, you gotta be bold. Now I'm a dyrech, and right? I know.